Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, I'm Helen. And I'm Stephen. And today we have an extra special, long, extended Brexit remix where we talk about all the issues that have been dominating the headlines this week. I've forgotten how we start the podcast, Stephen. (laughs) This is what happens when we don't have India. So what we do is we start the podcast by, in this instance, me saying we are, in fact, going to talk about Brexit. Wait, no, we're going to talk first of all about your award, which I think podcast listeners will be very excited to hear about. Last night, Stephen won Political Journalist of the Year, or even maybe actually Journalist of journalist the Year. Journalist of the Year, yeah. yeah. I mean, all those was, guys doing, like, environment correspondence. Who even was, are they? There was no modifier. At the Political Studies Association. I mean, it was a really nice event, actually. Uh, we got to see NS favourite James Graham, uh, you know, that we've previously had been in the pay of Big Graham advertising his play and sadly Harry's and their German factory were nowhere to be seen (laughs) Yanis Varoufakis unfortunately did not appear but uh, you know other friends of the podcast were there Grayson Perry a previous guest editor of the NS was there so it was a nice evening was had by all in the case of the all being me and you so congratulations Stephen one of the things that that was in your citation was the fact that you sang on the podcast so if you want at the end of this perhaps to give us a few bars of something that would be entirely appropriate I'll leave you to think about that okie dokie talking about someone who's seen the inside of a few bars david davis oh wow that's brutal um (laughs) come on yeah so brexit well so the fascinating thing about the kind of state of the brexit talks is i am actually feeling a lot more optimistic about them now whether or not this is a a post award afterglow i'm not entirely sure yeah what you've done is you've met actual normal humans who are quite competent and sensible and therefore you've now topped up your optimism reserve right whereas actually if you just read about things that are happening you go these people are all muppets we're never gonna get out this is crazy i know listeners will be going hmm but it seems things are going quite badly just to recap at at the time that we are listening uh theresa may kind of got her sort of announcing a deal face on hopped over to brussels did all of the glad handing midway through the dup went uh i'm sorry you've signed an agreement where we regulatorily diverge from the United Kingdom without consulting us. You're did we what? not put the name in the party name? Like, yeah. did you not see what we're about here, people? Um, um, and David Davis has been in front of the Brexit Select Committee admitting that the reports that he said were in such excruciating detail that Theresa May couldn't have read them do not, in fact, exist at all. Yeah. Such excruciating imaginary detail that she couldn't read them. Yes. Um, so that's all a bit clown shoes. That's all a bit clown shoes. Now, basically, I mean, the, the Irish border is something which makes my head hurt, not because it's complex, but because increasingly I don't understand what it is the average Conservative Brexiteer wants out of the Brexit process, right? If you have a separate regulatory regime, i.e. if you are free, if you have reclaimed your sovereignty and you have the right to strike your own trade deals, i.e. you've left the customs union, you have a regulatory and customs frontier 
on the island of Ireland, or if you decide because of the historical sensitivities of that border that you don't want it there, you have it in the Irish Sea. If there is any incentive to anyone to sign a trade deal with the United Kingdom, you have to be able to enforce your customs frontier. That's before you get to the fact that the WTO makes both sides enforce your customs criteria. And the success of the European Union, whether you like the political uh, constraints that come with it or not, is not it effectively is an exclusionary trade body. That is the success of it in terms of generating and maximising economic growth with, within it, right? That, but that this is, is what you said on the point. podcast last week about the idea that the Brexiteers aren't serious. And this is what I know, this is kind of an ongoing lesson in the dangers of populism, right? Which is that you... you win something through sloganeering and what you don't do which is the fundamental job of politics to do is you ever explain to people that there are advantages and disadvantages to every course of action you pretend that it can be absolutely 100% upside I'm saying this because I went back and reread a hilarious speech by Michael Gove from April 2016 in which he says what kind of crazy bunch of fools would trigger article 50 and this countdown process before really knowing what they wanted and you're like <laughs> Meet that crazy bunch of fools, Michael Gove, they're in called your party. But, so despite the fact that someone else in the lobby, who I, I won't name because they don't want to, you know, sabotage any relationships for them, said to me, oh, well, the thing you've got to look forward to when you have children is that you'll have trained yourself by talking to pro-Brex MPs. <laughs> they said, um, <laughs> apparently at one point when their oldest was three, he would get upset because he'd be eating something and there'd be less food. <laughs> and this went on for about, and they, one of those things where he said, which is funny now, but at the time you're like is this going to end but the thing is like that is the story of a child whose brain hadn't yet fully developed there are no pro-brexit mps whose brains are not fully developed right so they they have literally no excuse however despite that i think the prospects of a more sensible brexit are actually increasing partly because the only group of Brexiteers who have a plan in the... Well, there are two groups of Brexiteers who have a plan in the UK. People who want a... Super a, hard. A kind of so-called left exit from the European Union, but they're obviously uh, in opposition. So them having a plan is, is you know, nice, but they can't really do anything with it. And then your kind of EEA model uh, people. Now, the EEA has lots of problems not least it is hard to argue that it is not deeply against the spirit of why a majority of the majority voted to leave. I don't think that's true in the case of the customs union. I think it's true in the case of the single market. I think you have to treat them quite separately because I think, you know, it's about economics and immigration, the promise of more money for public services and the promise of, you know, less change in communities and the promise of giving a hefty kick to all politicians, right? So that's the, this is why I find this particular discussion so enervating. It's just going to just stay in the customs union. The idea that in 20 years' time we'll sign a tedious trade deal with Singapore is not worth all of this, guys. Yeah, I mean, you do also have to have some regulatory alignment as well. But it it is true that the the problem of the Irish border is not an inevitable problem of the Brexit vote. No, and who who really cares about the ECJ apart from the Tory party? I mean, I I said this on The Daily Politics. I had lots of, like, people who who were called, like, Patriot 973 saying, actually, I voted because of sovereignty. And you kind of think, well, maybe, okay, so maybe 30 to 40 people did that as well as the, the Tory party. But, like, we have good statistical evidence about what drove that vote. And it is, by and large, it is not the ECJ. Yeah, although, I mean, the... So there are lots and lots and lots of reasons why governments should not hold referendum if they are not in favour of the change proposition. There were lots of things in the Scottish government's white paper on independence that I think were overly optimistic. But nonetheless, if Scotland had voted yes, there would have been a clear understanding 
what the not just the proposition of are we going to leave the United Kingdom YN, but a clear understanding of the assumptions under which people who were voting yes had decided to proceed. Yeah, well, they had like a 150 page, what was it called, yeah. Scotland's Future. I mean, I've got a signed copy at home. That's how nerdy I am. Yeah. Wow. Well done, you. That's it's be... worth three to four pence on eBay. In, in any case, we would be in a better position if if the government had had to kind of have some idea what it is people. Wanted. And the problem, again, because the margin was so small, then basically any random group... I mean, it's why that ridiculous take about, oh, you know, this is really about, like, left behind voters. Like, well, that is the story of the voters who decided that we left, right? If you yeah. if you want to identify the group of people who are... The swing. The swing, yes, that is a, a, a good take. If you want to... So it's great for explaining why 2 million people voted to leave. If you want to explain why the remaining 15 million did, it's not a great one. Now, the thing about the EEA option is you can make a strong argument that there are about a million people, and you only need 600,000 to tip the result one way or the other, a million people for whom that is a leave version that they actively kind of wanted. And then obviously you can kind of then add that onto the 48% of people who voted for no change and go, the EEA is the unity option. Now, I am deeply uncomfortable with that for, like, upholding democratic elections, and I kind of think at the point you're ignoring why people left, can we just not stay in? But the reason why I now think it is significantly no, do, more likely that will happen but is because... But if you do leave to EEA, that does... I mean, you have left the political structures up at that yeah. point, and actually you're much more in control then of if you want over a period of many years afterwards to do further stuff, right? That's... That, to me, is the kind of key thing. So you are definitely leaving the EU and and beginning the start of that process. It could just be a very long process of then, at that point, pulling apart. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, although in terms of what the leaders of the parties are saying, it's like, oh, no, you know, the DUP and the Conservatives are miles apart. The most significant thing that happened this week in terms of the prospects of a, a deal was that Ruth Davison kind of went, no... Yeah, if regulatory alignment is the price we pay for a frictionless border, which of course she knows full well that it is. And uh, we want it everywhere. We, then, yeah, then we, we have to do that as one United Kingdom. The Scottish Conservative Party has basically said, yes, we agree with our leader. But the more significant thing is Geoffrey Donaldson quote tweeted it and went, well said, at Ruth Who Davis. Is the chief whip, the chief the whip of the DUP. But also, it, again, once again, you look at the Conservative Party in Scotland, and the clue is in the name. It is a Conservative and Unionist Party in Scotland, right? Her electoral incentives are all about not being the SNP. So she knows that she, you know, she that's as a tactical move about her future and the, and the future of the Scottish Tory party, that is clear. Yeah. But I, and I think the, you know, the thing about the Brexit ultras in the Conservative Party is they can't tear the house down. They are not going to vote for an election They're also not very well whipped. This is the thing I think yeah. is kind of fascinating. Right? The DUP, for all that there are many things I disagree with them on, are a tight block, right? They act as what, well, I mean, apart from occasionally they let some people go a bit off the reservation, but they they are quite disciplined, whereas the Brexiteers are not. I think that was the fascinating thing about the collapse of the talks, was uh, reading through all of the newspapers, not just the ones in Westminster, where uh, regrettably, in some cases, the interest in the DUP is not one what one might expect, not least because although this is the first time they've been actively involved in uh, government, it was clear in 2010 that the challenge of winning a majority was quite hard so they might need the DUP then in 2015 the polls suggested that uh, there would be a difficult you know someone would you know so again there was a reason to find out who these people were yeah a- and now Any they sort are of decent sized rebellion in 2015 you would have needed them to yeah. upset that yeah I mean this thing so like 
there is no excuse for the level of I mean, who many, are the like, dup that emanates from a large chunk of the commentary. Um, um, what was the size of the rebellion against Labour's first tuition fee? I mean, it was... Oh, it was huge because they passed it by something like four votes. I know, it was like, it was um, like 80 people. I mean, yeah. you know, we actually, I know they've been, the Parliament has got systematically more rebellious, but in a more like low-level frothy way, right? Okay, oh, yeah, people Now do. they just junk stuff off the side of the cliff. I mean, that's the, you know, because they don't have, they just know already they don't have the majority for it. But yeah, that, that was, you know, a a tight vote than the government could have fallen over tuition fees, right? It mm. it was incredibly close. Despite a majority in triple figures. Yeah. Great, right? because it was before yeah, it was 2005. Before 2005. Uh, yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The fascinating, I mean, there are many fascinating things, some of which we've kind of already talked over in previous episodes, but I think that the the kind of new thing that it's worth observing about Brexit is basically like, what is the SNP and, and Plaid Cymru's a political objective? It is independence or a greater level of self-determination if you're a kind of incremental Welsh nationalist. And their EU policy flows f- through that, one, because it is a good wedge issue if you are um, the SNP to point to the fact that Scotland is being taken out against its will, but also because if you are a small nation in Europe, you cannot have a functioning independent economy if you are not in the EU in the single market, right? So that kind of makes sense from a, their political objectives perspective. I was going to say, what about Iceland? Now I remember that literally, like... Iceland has got the same population as a mid-sized town in Britain. And, so also, it's sort of... and also, I mean, this is, and I suspect this will be another interesting issue in phase two of the talks. The the thing about countries which aren't in the EU, it's a bit like, like oh, well, we'll left the EU will be like Norway or Switzerland or Iceland. There are just good arguments that the extent to which those nations are not in the EU. Is utterly figly fickle? Yeah, like... Yes, Switzerland, which is surrounded on all sides by people who are in the EU, accepts yeah, a huge amount of and, regulatory convergence. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it, it just feels to me that, that, yeah, okay, clearly some people do really care about whether or not the word EU appears in front of something, but... It is very difficult to make the case. I mean, okay, there's obviously a a, a kind of, you know, nameplate argument for why they're not in the EU. But in terms of the policy objections that most Brexiteers have, it is not overly clear to me what the problem with the EU then is fixed by the Norway or Switzerland option, other than the political project bit. That makes sense. What is Labour's objective? It is to, depending on which bit of the Labour Party you are talking to, it is to create socialism, reform capitalism, rebuild social democracy, and their Brexit objective fits... No, wait, um, wait, wait. No, I'm not, because I think their Brexit objective is, we're not here. All the lights are turned on. It's basically me on Halloween. Like, I'm not in... That is Labour's combined Brexit objective. But basically, the thing is, is depending on which one of those is your objective, yeah. that then leads you to a different Brexit it, objective. It was pretty astonishing that in that GQ interview with Jeremy Corbyn, where he said that he hadn't discussed with Seamus Milne, his director of strategy, like well, how he voted in the referendum. Like, I wouldn't ask him that. It's a very personal question, was his answer. And you're kind of like, 
oh, I mean, oh, okay. But I think that's to me is kind of fascinating. Like, you know, obviously, you know, that Jeremy Corbyn voted against the Lisbon Treaty, voted against Maastricht. He says, you know, he was a kind of seven out of ten single on, European act. Yeah, he was a seven out of ten on on the staying in, and you know, and they spun that as being well, that's kind of where most of the country was. But I'm surprised that. Well, to be fair, most of the country was actually four point eight percent out of ten. On, <laughs> yeah, that's very true. On. But I don't know. I just I find their position slightly hard to swallow at the moment. What they're doing, I think, might be very good politics. I think it's sort of sad for the country because I think people deserve representation, and I think the job of an op- opposition is also there is that is a job in itself, and to do scrutiny and to do, and to pick holes in government arguments. And I think sort of saying, you know, we'll be out back. Come come get us when we're needed to do a bit of governing. I, I find that quite difficult to accept. I agree that probably tactically it probably is the right thing to do. I, I also think the thing is, is that like, although that is kind of the collective position which the whole of Labour can rally around, right? Then basically, the bits of the Labour Party which think that we should leave either because they think it's a necessary evil or they think it's a prerequisite or whatever. It, it just feels... It, like, basically, I think Labour's collective Brexit position is a lot more craven than any of the individual yeah. Uh, yeah, parts yeah. of it. Because also they've just been very slow on things, right? So you've now got Keir Starmer saying we should put the single market and the customs union back on the table. Well, you know, where were you when the vote on that was happening and you actually had resignations from... From your shadow cabinet over it or the fact that they did they went along with that mad clamor about triggering article 50 at a time when you could have put your hand in the air and said i don't think we should do this until the government's sort yeah obviously we all know that we need to leave and run on the referendum result but we want to hear more detail about how you're going to solve xyz here is our five point test about triggering article 50 until the government can tell us these five things we're not going to do it so my unpopular opinion about triggering article 50 is it's a really interesting example of collective failure right because it was a disaster by the government and a disaster by the opposition viewed through the lens of the brexit process to do it in that way in that manner and one that was entirely foreseen as i said by michael go by saying what kind of crazy bunch of fools would do it without knowing what they wanted but with the exception of michael gove i actually can't it it's very basically it's it's one of those things where i cannot work out who the group of people who i think could plausibly have done anything different other than actually right the the people who i think are to blame are that core of the vote leavers who had fought a referendum saying no this would be a crazy way of doing it who did have a sympathetic ear in the right-wing press yeah but once you don't have michael gove and Stewart and Boris Johnson using that influence in order to prevent it. The idea that any conservative leader can resist it is nonsense. Once a conservative leader has started that music, the idea that any Labour leader could meaningfully have... Yeah, ultimately, the thing about Labour's whipping position on EU issues is they basically make the difference as far as the votes of, I would say, at best... 12 MPs on the front bench who would switch their vote if they were allowed to vote in a more pro-European direction. And then perhaps on the back benches, there are a couple of people who are slightly more Eurosceptic than they let on, who the fact that they can nestle under Corbyn's umbrella of the fact that Labour activists like him to go, oh, well, you know, I, I always follow the whip. Some of those people would probably feel pressured by their local party to still follow the whip. But the the vast undertow of, of what happened with article 50 on both side and both the conservative and the labor party once you have a conservative leader who i just cannot come up with a plausible case for how they could have avoided doing it everyone else kind of has to do what they have to do it but- just reminds me a bit of when george osborne used to do those you know amazing dividing lines that we were all so impressed that you know ed balls hadn't fallen into the trap and, and then labor had voted on this you know way that was unpopular with their activists in order to to do it and in hindsight you just think then jeremy corbyn went along came along and went like 
no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to spend loads of money. What of it? And Although they did, Labour did also, let's face it, like also do the, oh, I see that trap, I'm not, yeah. we should not forget that the 27 Manifesto included a commitment that freedom of movement would end. Yeah, uh, that's true. And did not go into the election going, yeah, we are the party which, yeah, like, yeah. But you know and, what I mean? You and its fiscal be... baseline supports the, the welfare capital. So they did yeah. similarly avoid those two divides. But sometimes ones. you can be like, I'm so clever, I haven't fallen into a trap. When actually you think, in the you, you make a bet instead, in the long term, people are going to come around to my position that I was right all along. So I'm going to take the hit in the short term. And trust that we become but out, I right? The Lib Dems now, Which right. is like the Iraq war yeah. thing. But you go, you'll, you'll agree, give me a couple of five years and you'll all agree with me it was a bad idea. The, but so the thing with the Lib Dems, right, is, is their political objectives are, one, to expunge some to of the... To survive. Well, yes, but to survive, but to do that by, one, expunging the kind of smell of coalition and the idea that they have no values by going, well, look, here is a big value. And also, crucially, because they want to, to a greater or lesser extent defend the European social model and our, and the UK's economic model, which you can really only do by backing either a Remain vote or a very, or a very, very, I can't believe it's not Brexit, Brexit. But I think they've got um, a huge problem in Lib Dems in the sense that one of the things that is the, the smell that, that that kind of did for them in the last election is is homosexuality a sin, Tim Farron. And, you know, we, this comes back to the argument that we had when we did our centenary issue about did the left or the right win the 20th century and about on social issues, absolutely progressives have won and repeatedly won over and over again. So if you're the Lib Dems and you're trying to, you know, get away from that idea, we know lots of social progressives didn't who, who were quite pro-European, probably more aligned with the Lib Dems, still voted Labour. What is the emblematic social progressive issue now that they can do at a time when you know gay people can marry they can adopt there isn't that kind of big huge lingering injustice for them to kind of definitively draw a line in the sand from the Farron era right yeah partly because the party's uh platform on paper was already quite socially liberal so there's not something but i mean the obvious one would be transgender issues but jeremy corbyn is already at the kind of ultimate you know end of that there isn't there is no space beyond him that you could you could outmaneuver him on that yeah i mean they they could just um talk about it more right there is a large uh, constituency of people who are very upset about what's happening with trump with brexit uh, with the vocabulary towards immigration, and they could... Well, they could be a pro-immigration party. They could be a... Yeah. I mean, that would definitely... Out, there is space to outflank Labour progressively there on freedom of movement. But I think the thing is, is right, regardless of whether or not the Liberal Democrat position on Europe worked, and it obviously did not from an electoral perspective, in terms of their political and economic objectives, their Brexit position makes sense. Now... The fascinating thing I think about the Brexit position is, and I, I honestly would really love to hear listeners' opinions on this, what are the Conservatives' political objectives, what are their Brexit objectives, and at what point do those two circles meet? And it seems to me that the answer to that question is they don't. If you are a economically liberal or Thatcherite conservative, ultimately the Conservatives' Brexit asks are going to end up with Britain being a more protectionist country than it is today if you are a pro-union conservative it self-evidently puts more pressure on the union of crowns i am yet to find a conservative ideological and electoral aim 
in which the yeah because say what you like about all of the other political parties they have successfully got to a point where those two circles entirely align yeah and i think there's an initial problem for the conservatives which is that everybody thinks you know if you talk about people in the country they think that basically brexit get on with it you know we're not paying that much attention to my new share of the detail that's very good for the conservatives at the moment it becomes more of an issue as the parliament goes on and people go why is my local hospital struggling so much and you can't go oh actually we've been extremely busy with brexit because that's not people have not been tuned into that process at all like that is not an excuse that will wash with people if they feel that public services have, have degraded in quality yeah no i agree good well done political journalist of the year <laughs> you've been listening to the new statesman podcast with me stephen bush my colleague helen lewis it's recorded by India Bork and produced by Caroline Crampton. Our music is Devil by the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. If you're looking for another podcast to add to your collection, check out Seriously. They take pop culture very, very seriously. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.